Hello and welcome to the I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things podcast. I am officially your third favourite host of this podcast. Yes, it's me, Stephen, <laughs> back after I'm sure much appreciated uh, time off. Um, hello, Vaughn. Hey, Stephen. How are you doing this week? Welcome back. I'm doing good. I really, I really, really, really enjoyed uh, the episode from last time. Uh, yeah, I, I took, some, <laughs> I, took <laughs> I took some mental notes. Uh, I spoke, spoke, spoke to Calvin about it as well. I will, I will note that um, Calvin is better at letting you speak than I am, so I'll work on that. Um, I have no complaints. And, if I, if I was really bothered, I would say something to you. Yeah, and it was nice to listen to the podcast about someone trying to make a joke every thirty seconds. So <laughs> that's not going to change. And yet you still submitted <laughs> but, an email that was purely one joke you had. Yeah. I know I said it was nice to listen to I didn't say I'm going to do that I didn't say I'm going to change I'm just saying for the benefit of the audience you know it was probably better for them um, so the halcyon days are over the glory years are done our Annus Horribilis as they say has now become an Annus Horribilis um, which I believe is the technical term yeah I know Latin I'm, I'm sure a lot of people um, are going to correct you on that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Oh, there's a podcast that I enjoy called Jordan Jesse Go where they um, say if you've got any complaints then just name a random Twitter account I think it's JD Power they say so um, okay. where should we send our complaints to um, if you've got any any complaints about this podcast um, if you could send them to Jack Davenport JCK DVNPRT um, just right there all the time official complaints um, department Official complaints department, yeah, and he will handle them very, very effectively. Um, he's got a big, big shredder, and he will just deal with those complaints. Is this just our way of finding out, like, which of our friends actually listen to the podcast? Like, we see who responds to our random <laughs> throughout. <laughs> yeah, I think it's become that, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, as you can tell from the amount of, like, blast at the beginning, um, there is a movie we don't really want to get to talking about. But we will <laughs> get to delay as much that. as possible. Yeah. You can really tell, I think there's like, again, to reference other podcasts, the Kermode and Mayo podcast. Um, so Kermode being the, the critic and Mayo the, the presenter, Mayo always says that from the pause before Kermode starts reviewing, you can tell what he thinks about the film. A... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's, there you go. In the opening, you can guess. So we're going to get to the Russo brothers, the Grey Man, um, the people behind some of Zebra's favourite films the last few years, so I'm sure he's pretty excited about that. <laughs> That's one way um, to put it, I guess. That's one way to put it. Um, but before that, um, we have a grab bag of recent releases to yes. sift our little hands through. Um, so you reviewed the Black Phone for the website, the com, and you liked it. I did like the Black Phone. I think it's a, I think mm. it's a very fun movie. It's it's you know I think it's one of those things where in a time where a lot of we're getting a lot of self serious kind of obnoxious horror that I just find quite grating or yes you know like. Uh, to bring back like scream where it's just too much and doesn't work at all you know i thought the black phone did a great job like it's fairly conventional but it works very well within those conventions and it has a lot of fun with it i i would agree i would, I would add the caveat that it eventually has fun with it um i think yes. it's it's very easy once you've watched a film like you know what the whole film is um and therefore you talk in it in totality but like the first act of the Black Phone is one just not very good at all, and two is a, is a tonally divergent film from the rest of it. So I yeah. was like watching it, being like, "Hmm, not sure about this." And then when it gets into the very run of the mill but very well executed horror film, and actually is, it's good. It, it has fun being a horror film. It's in the horror thriller kind of genre um, for sure. Um, it's kind of like a, in the same way, this is a grab bag of things. I feel like it's just a grab bag of horror ideas, um, yeah. but all of them are done well enough. Like yeah. they don't really fit any kind of wider tapestry but it's never 
trying to be that. I feel the ending is rushed and silly, um, but there are some good moments towards the ending. Which is but yeah, fitting the... for Stephen King's son, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, very, very true. And, you know, if we're talking about adaptations of works by King family people, you can, you know, Firestarter is just like absolute crap. That's um, true, yeah. So it is, it is a lot better than that in every way. And fi- But, like, similarly, they're both just, like, not really that interesting plot heavy horror that go right. back and just like right. run moments but it just shows that this movie can do the moments a lot better so yes scott derrickson who'll get mentioned again later in the podcast um did a good job there did a good job yeah yeah i like the black phone it's a fun movie i, I think it's mm. i mean i'd like any reason to just watch an ethan hawk performance and i like him as a villain a lot i think that was a great unusual yeah, thing I... to see I really like his mask, which um, you told me, I believe, that it was designed by somebody. Yes, designed by Tom Savini, a yeah. famous, famous makeup effects artist for horror movies. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was cool to, to, to read that and be like, oh, there's like, it's very in conversation with that stuff, you know? Yeah, it's got very much like a Kabuki influence to it yeah. as well. So it like links back to like Onibaba and stuff in that. So it seems in, in conversation with the wider horror genre. I also like the tactility of the mask, the way that it comes in two parts. Yeah. And I really enjoy that it uses both the two parts at points. And um, I do also like the because the trailer seemed really dumb to me because I'm like, well, I why agree. do you... Like, for loads of reasons. But you know when it's like... Have you seen the original... I know you've seen Dread because I'm rewatching that soon. Yeah. Um, but I know you've... Have you seen Judge Dread? I have not actually. So, Judge Dredd is not very good at all, and like the <laughs> key issue with it is because so you hire a star in the main right. role, so therefore he takes his helmet off for most of the time because like yeah. that that's how it happens. And when I watched the trailer for the for the um, I was about to say the Gray Man, no, the Black Phone. It's all these <laughs> adju- <laughs> color adjectives um, for, for the Black Phone. I was just like, well, why pick? Like, I know it's Ethan Hawke. <laughs> like, right. you just hired very, very famous Ethan Hawke. Like, it's great you putting a mask on him, but it's no reveal. But the film does not make it reveal. Like, you see him at the right. beginning without mask. It's not like, who is it behind the mask? It's the mask is part of personality and projection that's part of the character. It's not like, I thought it was going to be like Jigsaw, and it's not. Right. Um, so, good stuff there. Jigsaw's atrocious. <laughs> um,. All right, what did you you wanted to talk about Lightyear? We we talked about it briefly yeah. last week or two weeks ago, but yeah, you, I wanted, you have to, I wanted to add my well. two cents about Lightyear, which I quite like. Um, which I think it's very much because of like lowered expectations um, going in. Um, yeah. I think I was actually really surprised. I thought the very very opening was actually really really good. There's like two runs of really good action set pieces in a row, and I'm like, this is actually they made a big deal about filming it with like virtual IMAX cameras it, it is really nicely virtually shot like it is a, is a cool looking movie the art design is generic and whatever right. but like from a digital cinema it's, it's really hard to put the verbs of filmmaking when it's all digital yeah. um, but they do have like they, they have simulated emulated cameras here and are shooting it with emulated cameras which is wild to think about but you have that planet escape sequence which is really really interesting and it's kind of like fun and dynamic then you have them getting ready for that first um, trying to hit light speed thing and then that's really really cool and then it has that reveal the old time dilation and then there's kind of the rest of the movie which isn't hugely right. interesting um but i did really like those first two moments i like that as an idea i didn't really do anything with it but i thought as like a pulpy like decent adventure if it was completely inoffensive uh, yeah. at points really quite fun i like the socks character i think I'm, I, I'm being quite kind to it because i think it is fine um and i don't know if i have the weighty expectations of pixar anymore to really care if it's not like yeah. astonishing, because I feel like you know they bleed, they're human. I don't really care. 
Yeah, I do think there is like a to a degree there are those expectations that people continue to have of Pixar, and maybe they don't necessarily aren't that studio anymore, you know. So it's probably not worth having those sky high expectations every time yes studio lore is kind of weird to me i get with pixar it's much like a collaborative creative group that's developed over time and like that's how they work on their things is like you you try out working on one then you work yourself up to a directorial position yeah and it establishes that way but like it's been a long time now with these companies yeah the people that were there making the those films at the beginning are not there anymore or like a lot of them are not there and have gone on to other places it's it's the same thing of like the the a24 fanaticism of like it's it's strange being that attached to a brand as opposed to the specific things that it makes um so yeah i, I don't follow that so much like even as much as i, I went out my way to watch all the ghibli films there's even that being like there is a huge quality differential and it just right. turns out it's 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 the people making them that you should follow and the branding on it doesn't matter as much anyway that's light year um please 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 tell me about both sides of the blade claire denis maybe the greatest <sighs> filmmaker of all time not the greatest film of all time by any means okay I, fine yeah yeah, yeah. okay because, well, not the greatest film of all time. That's well fine. i would also add to that i think that it is actively bad um oh, okay yeah i and i totally agree with you i think claire denis is a brilliant filmmaker i i adore her films that i have seen before this one um you know of course motrevi is just yeah an amazing film and i love um 35 shots of rum as well as i yes. think just just yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. and I, I like high life a lot but i um so i so i went into this movie with high expectations just because yeah. that's who it is and i feel like even you look at some of her older movies and they're kind of divisive in a way of like some mm. people are just not yeah trouble on... every day very yeah, much so and i love trouble every and high day. life actually yeah so it's like okay maybe this will be one of those where i'm just i'm gonna get on her wavelength with this one and enjoy it even if other people don't agree with me but i feel like i'm on the opposite side of the spectrum i feel like more people are enjoying it than i did i just found it to be interesting a very grating film that tries to be about relationships and I don't think says much at all really um mm. and i like obviously who doesn't like juliette binoche and vincent london as the the main yeah, characters yeah. but boy their characters are just not compelling at all and i think binoche's character is like actively not a good person and that's okay in a way have... in a way that the film like doesn't coalesce i guess yeah like I, aware there's of. there's plenty of films where the protagonist is obviously not a good person and that's totally fine but mm. in this movie it's just like this person is unlikable and there's nothing compelling that makes me enjoy watching it like she's just a terrible person and i'm not sure what i'm supposed to get out of it you know it's just kind I, of I, and I, do get I, that. I think there's a point at the end where some of it kind of coalesces and i see what it's trying to get at but that doesn't make <laughs> that didn't change my experience throughout the entire film which was just like i am not enjoying watching this at all and yeah. it, it devolves into like just the end is just like screaming people screaming at each other and i'm just like this is what am i doing here you know uh, I, the the tinder stick score is fantastic they're okay. amazing musicians um they did the music for trouble every day as well Ah, I was about to say, where, do I, where, where would I know them yeah. from? So that's good. So the music's good, but yeah, I just... wasn't for me at all. I, I am excited for you to be able to see it because I yeah, want I, to I'm know I'm really excited. I've your seen perspective. the vast majority of her films. There are a few out there that are just like... Because like, the thing that we forget sometimes of international cinema is so much of like little movies come out in our countries all the time that don't really like yeah. have much proliferation outside. And a lot of Claire Denis films, those little like French films that come out every now and then that are like 
television. Also, like France, I mean, I have family in France and have spent so much time in France. France has a much bigger industry of like cinematic television movies. Like there is there is a okay. like Canal Plus. Um, so you see right. Studio Canal and things. That is a television channel as well. So there is like a huge relationship between made for TV stuff or made to be put quite okay. soon on TV. So a lot of French stuff. I mean, Coda, the the, the film that um, which I forget the name of that that became Coda was a made for TV film in that okay. way. So there's there's a very different industry there in that sense. I think a lot of Denise stuff is that, which I think leads to more interesting filmmakers doing more interesting stuff. Yeah, no, I totally um, because agree. Because they're, they're, they're not just like, they don't have to spend $200 million on yeah. a great man film all the time. Um, they can just do whatever. Um, so yeah, um, speaking of interesting filmmakers doing interesting stuff, um, I watched Persuasion. I don't really know anything about this other than it's Dakota Johnson. So I'm very interested it's, it's, in your take on this movie. Um, it's terrible. Um, it's really, really <laughs> terrible. It is, this is, I mean, everyone that's, that's listening probably knows. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's the coldest take, but it's the correct take of, they've taken, I mean, I'm, as I said on other podcasts, I've not read that much Jane Austen, um, purely because it's my dad's favourite author, and therefore as an act of rebellion, I refuse to read Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I get I'm, that. I'm someone that, that has read like a lot of her contemporaries and like love and does love that kind of like style of fiction and, and would love it. I read um Lady Susan because I loved Love and Friendship so much. So I read the novella Lady Susan because it was so short and Love and Friendship was so brilliant. Um but like I've watched a lot of um Austen adaptations and I'm I'm a fan of Austen as like yeah. in that kind of way. And I know the texts, even not as books, because they exist right. as ephemera around us. Um and she's just such a witty and interesting writer anything that's good in persuasion the netflix movie is good because the core plot is still good it's still interesting yeah. the character dynamics are still good are still interesting but but everything that was def- adapted was terrible <laughs> uh, it's so obviously inspired by two key texts um one is bridgerton um okay. and the other is emma full stop um right. which i really really love. i've not watched bridgerton um my partner loves it um, with with caveats, there are complicated things to unpick about it, but she enjoys it um, critically. Um, and Emma Full Stop, I think, is absolutely fabulous. Um, Emma Full Stop, which I'll keep calling that. Um, <laughs> I like, like that guy, just, like calling it that. <laughs> yeah, um, it so commits to being an aesthetic piece, and is yeah. in line with its character and its tone. And Emma is a a more comedic novel, and its its main character is that force of nature that that needs that behind it. Persuasion is it's like i think it's her last novel before she died um it is it's not somber but it is a more serious it is a like more like deep felt it doesn't have it has a wit and there is irony to her writing always but not the modern irony that we're used to i think it's a different kind of irony and this is just like I saw someone write it as like it's been written by a cosmopolitan editorial writer, and that was like spot on. Like it is like okay. someone, it's like gin o'clock, like the whole, it, it's basically in that register the whole way through right. of like live, laugh, love, yeah. hash, but like a hashtag oh before God. it. I mean, my partner Emma referred it to being like, this thinks that it's making a joke about these things, but it's just doing these things yeah, exactly. the whole way through. Uh, it's just, there are so many great like screenshots there about like the line from Persuasion and the line from, from the movie. It just, Copy doesn't work. It's just it's and there are so many phrases in there that are just anachronous. Um but because the style is not anachronous. So Emma Full Stop again has an anachronistic style, so therefore yeah. it works. But when someone's talking about them being a ten or something like that's just not a phrasing that was used at that time, but the filmmaking is not expressively adapted. Yeah, I'm I'm wasting yeah. time talking about it. It's just not very good. So it sounds um, like it's trying to be clueless, but it's just insufferable instead. 
Yeah, very much so. It's like, actually, like, t- yeah, we, spot on. Um, so actually take it that step further and adapt it into a modern setting right. rather than this weird middle ground of just, like, affected dialogue. But they've still got to keep the... They're still talking about sextants. There's, like, there's a central thing about getting a sex out of looking at it, but then they're talking, like, all just, like, modern, basically, internet speak. It's ridiculous. Um, tell me about this this movie that I'd never heard of until just now, yes. Fast and Feel Love. So I, I have mentioned, and I'm... You know what? I'm not even going to attempt to say his last name. I'm sorry, but I, there's no way I'm going to be able to pronounce it correctly. But this Thai filmmaker, um, Nawapol, is a brilliant filmmaker. I've mentioned him on this show before. I first watched his film, um, Mary is Happy, Mary is Happy, which is okay, really good. Yes. Um, and since then, I've just become a huge fan of his. Um, let me pull up everything of his that I've seen. Um I really like his his movies a lot. His style is, I, I think, really... It's just really nice. It's something I like a lot. I like... I'm finding just, I think, that I like the... That sort of contemplative Thai style that a lot of people have. I mean, it's the same thing with, like, Abby Chatpong. Um, but yeah, I've watched Mary's Happy. Or Joe, Mary's as Happy. he is called. Or Joe, yes. <laughs> um, I, I always love that he goes by Joe. It's I know, it's so great. <laughs> um, which is a really sweet movie. Um... 36 is like a shorter film that i also really liked um and then die tomorrow which is um as it might sound very <laughs> very sad movie but i also think really touching okay. and really nice um what is movie? Watched... i looked up the poster and it just looks like a fast and furious film yeah so this is where all of his other movies that i've seen are very contemplative and sweet movies like this is sort of what seems to be his attempt at like making a comedy um so it's a movie about this guy who wants to become the world champion of sports stacking which <laughs> is a great concept to start with to make a, a sports movie about sports stacking i just love that um but he starts dating this woman and they she's like i'm gonna do everything i can to make sure that you're the world champion of sports stacking to the point where she's basically just running his uh, whole life so that he can stack all the time and then it's sort of kind it's sort of about like the the passage of time and like he's constantly trying to battle time and make his times better and she's realizing she's losing time because she wants to have children and he's so focused on sports stacking that he's not interested in that so then they break up and uh, he has to like figure out how to live as a normal person <laughs> because she's been doing everything for him for so long um, so it's like a it's a quite basic but funny premise um and i think he gets quite a bit out of that part of it and i love the sports stacking stuff but he also tries way too hard to do some of the comedy stuff and a lot of it just Mm. becomes really overly reliant on being referential and just like being like look at this joke that i'm making that is basically just a movie that you know like the soundtrack keeps trying to do like a dark knight thing and obviously given the the title on the poster like there's a lot of fast and furious references it has multiple sequences that are like directly parasite so like it it lifts a lot from a lot of recent releases just to be like hey we're making fun of this movie and it's kind of like a parody thing but it really just doesn't work i presume by parasite you're referring to episode seven of the recent resident evil series which is called parasite absolutely and as i've said not. before if you're going to watch that show start watching episode seven and only watch the first 20 minutes of episode seven but i will say if that episode is doing the same thing where it's just like parodying the film parasite then 
yeah it is the same thing <laughs> I mean, it's not it's um, not not doing that <laughs> yeah so so it's like i like the central film and i think there's a lot of great stuff there but it gets really weighed down okay. by by that those turns into being referential but i still like him as a filmmaker a lot and i will continue to watch so releases. okay so that's now a poll Tamron Gatanarit's um, Fast and Field Love, which sounds really interesting. I think I'll check out um, the earlier work first, though, before getting definitely, to that one, it seems. Um, so, um, my last film from the grab bag is a film called Happening, which you've not heard of, uh, which I'm quite pleased. I looked it up and it's on my watch list, so I must have heard it at some mm. point, but it is not something yeah. that I'm fully aware of. So, so. This is one of those films where it had a festival release a while ago, but it, it got a movie digital release here, so you can now actually watch it um, okay. for the first time. So you'll see like people have watched it over time because obviously it's been doing the rounds. Right. Um all right. It's not a great film. It really isn't. Um it it falls into that thing of it is an an important and really relevant film. Okay. And it does everything that it needs to do very, very well. And that what it needs to do doesn't make it an excellent work of cinema. Right. But it does make everything that it needs to be. So um so content warnings for discussion about reproductive rights and abortion um, and he wants to control the bodies of people with uteruses um, which is very much what the film is about so it's set in 60s France um, when abortion was illegal um, and incredibly enforced um, to the extent that if you were part of helping someone to get an abortion you would also be criminally charged so that could be having spoken to somebody about it so like it's right and also this being the 60s um like the availability of contraceptives as well is also like a big factor here so like it's it's it is very much a presentation of just then but the film is obviously released now um and it's even more obviously depressingly um, prescient, but obviously it wasn't made with that specific legislation in mind. And again, it's a French film, but it doesn't take you know an oracle to kind of like realize yeah. that the timing this thing of has it, been right. yeah exact. But the the, the 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 rights are being eroded and going. The, the things were going this way. This was yeah, not a sudden certainly. moment. This has been the shape of things. And I think in France as well. I don't pretend to know that much about the conversation about reproductive rights in France, but it seems for this movie to come out, yeah. that very much must be the conversation. And you know, it's it's it's, it's neoliberal held. Like you know, the, the French government are not a government that are particularly excellent. Um, so it is about a a very hardworking literature student. Um, who is doing great and then she realises that after a one-time fling um, and she's not that kind of person, like her friends are very flirtatious, but it does this idea of being like because of obviously the sexual repression come from the um, the harsh reality of if you get pregnant, there's nothing right. you can do um, and again, around concepts around that, so it's it's very interesting because like her friends are very, very flirtatious um, but can't do anything with that yeah. So it is all just pure performance. And that's like a really interesting dynamic. And she's not into that. Um, but she has had a sexual relationship with this person that you find out later that was a one-time thing. He's from somewhere else in the country. And she realised that she is pregnant and that she cannot have the baby. She just literally cannot. It's it's not going to work. Um, she wants to get to university. She needs to do her exams, etc. Like her life falls apart because of this. Um, it then becomes this like harrowing portrayal, really, really upsetting, and it shows you very, very bluntly of what happens when you don't have access to this as healthcare. Yeah. Um, it has some protracted scenes of home done methods. It has some protracted scenes of 
I am a doctor, this is my house, I'll have a go. It's got this... I I, I feel pretty good about spoiling things because I think it's the, the conversation... Also, it's the podcast. Um, the conversation around it is, is important. Um, there's a really interesting bit where she goes to a doctor that she thinks is um, going to help her and the doctor prescribes her this shot and then later does nothing. Talks to another doctor goes, yeah, um, you've got to remember that most male doctors agree with this law and the thing that he gave you was something that actually has strengthened the fetus and actually is going to make it more difficult um it it goes to where you think it's going to go um i will spoil it because i think that it's worth going and knowing this it does have a a, a pleasant ending it doesn't because it i think you do need a little bit of that at the end yeah it i think is that's only a good thing to spoil for sure. Yeah, I, I I think so. It is interested very much in showing you exactly the process. Now, I wrote this in my review, um, which I didn't put on the site because it, it's not really for me to write about this film publicly. I put it on my letterbox right. only. I could have written it for the site, but I'm not to because I don't think it's 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 that worthwhile of me. Um, a lot of people don't need to watch this. Um, they know that these things are horrendous. They know what it means, and you just don't need to watch right. it. I think, however, there's a difference between knowing something academically and seeing the reality of it and yes it is a film but it is so interested in showing the reality of what happens there yeah. and it's much harder to confront something when you've seen it i think this is a great tool to watch and to get a grounding the people that are going to watch this are already on side no one's going to watch this right. and be convinced unless they're made to so you could use it as a recommendation for people and that'd be great however it's a great thing to use as to use as an example as a text to push towards or to inform you one thing i will say which is my large critique of it um is that i think we need to get used to this idea that certain things are sad because they're inherently sad um and i don't like the framing it's it's again it's just a very strict just like this thing happens movie yeah i'm not a fan of the framing of she's such a promising student and it's a shame that yes. becomes the tragedy that's not the tragedy the tragedy is the lack of access to necessary medical care the tragedy is not the promising thing because if it doesn't mean it that was the logic that if she wasn't succeeding then that wouldn't be a problem right. the problem is not a loss of potential the problem is the thing itself and i am a little bit fed up of all these stories feeling the need to lionize or like deify their protagonists yeah. to make it seem worse and yeah. you don't need to do that I think you mentioned that I can't remember the film you were referring to, but you mentioned that in terms of film, the father, with, yes, yeah, like Alzheimer's and like this. It's isn't it so terrible that we're losing this great person and not just isn't this terrible mm. because it's terrible, which I totally yeah. agree with. Yeah, yeah, and I think with something as like as prescient as this, as like right. as as current as this, I think that's more important because I think it skews the thing. You're you're too busy at points. You are feeling sad because like oh this is so horrible for her, and it's true. Those stories did happen, and those stories are still important to tell. To be fair, so you can make that argument very very well. But, but it could be anybody, um, and it would be the same. It would be just I as tragic. Yeah, and I think because the film is only interested in polemics, it's not interested in actually being a character piece. That bit becomes yeah. distracting. If it was interested in being a character piece with this as subtext. Yes, it would work. Anyway, um, that's happening. I think it's a really interesting film, and I think people should watch it. All right, I, I might check that out. It sounds. I mean, it does sound like something worth watching. Yeah, um, definitely. I know Rainier I th- watched it and really, really liked it. Okay, um, but that I think that's everything for the grab bag of recent releases. Um, yeah, let's pivot. Like, how else, <laughs> <laughs> let's pivot to however else we can delay um, talking about the actual film, um, and we'll start with the Russo brothers. Yeah, okay. Let me let me open up the director page. I, I should do as well, more. but I, there's not a whole lot to look up or look at, I don't think. Yeah. I mean 
Not my cherry, to be honest. I mean, let's start with um, the early stuff, Community and Arrested Development, which um, I love both. Yes. Yeah, I, I do think it's important, especially, I think, Community. I mean, I like Arrested Development a lot, too, but I think Community in that it was much more to me like of a cinematically minded show and like that especially referentially like they were always in conversation with movies and like you can feel that in their contributions to community yeah 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 yeah. that's a very good point so we have these um sitcom directors who got budgets thrown at them because let's be honest because they're pliable it's that sense of being like who's a person who can just get a film made um (laughs) and can just like function over budget and knows the mechanics of how to run a set etc and i think actually makes sense you run the mcu to get television stuff because television is a medium which is more producer and writer-led so therefore you're more used to not having a say as a director um and it is a lot more like large-scale management of the kind that fits to what the mcu are doing um and then from that we have cherry did you see cherry i did not see cherry and i heard it nothing good boring about it, beyond words so I, it was one where it was like two and a half hours and i heard nothing good and I'm yeah like, i'm not gonna spend my time with this so yeah, yeah no, did, if i'm gonna spend some time with cherry it's gonna be a slough um so Absolutely. yeah um then so you've got yeah avengers captain america Winter soldier which we both really like um yes. Captain America Civil War, which I think is crap. Uh, I think you think is fine. I mean, one of those things where I like it in memory, having watched it at a time where I mm. just liked those movies, but I, I think yeah. now, I, in memory now, like, I know that if I went back, I would not enjoy it as much. Yeah. Um, and now, why the Grey Man is interesting is because they got loads of people out there being like, this is the most expensive Netflix movie of all time. Um, and that was just after they said they weren't going to give money to Scorsese anymore. <laughs> so there was that being like, we're yes. not going to fund any more Scorsese projects. <laughs> anyway, The Grey Man, so expensive. Ugh. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing where, I mean, when that blockbuster thing just becomes like, the budget is the impressive thing about the movie. Yeah. And it seems like the more money you give a movie, it just, to me, becomes less and less interesting in practice. You know, like, especially now. Like, mm. I think in the past that was different where blockbusters yeah. really did feel like blockbusters. But now it's like, if we're just going to jump right into it, like, The Gray Man just feels. It doesn't feel like a $200 million movie to me. It's all just CGI and it doesn't look good at all. And it's just. I, yeah. I, I'm, I just don't enjoy looking at it. There's nothing. It tries to be a huge spectacle movie and instead it's just. It's just all is like a wash. I go back to um, someone like Michael Bay, who is not a filmmaker that I enjoy, but you know what Michael Bay is very good at? Putting the money on screen. Yes, of like, 100%. this film looks expensive. Um, there are other directors, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on directors' name. let me look it up briefly, because there's, again, a filmmaker that I'm not a huge fan of, but... I will say, there's a, there's a question tangentially related to... I think this conversation so we might loop around back to this later in terms of other directors of this ilk what's that movie called I want to say it was called Four Kings but clearly it wasn't called Four Kings what, what uh, movie there's a movie called of? Three Kings Three Kings I'm thinking of Three Kings which is very okay yeah Mark Wahlberg I, which, and George yeah, Clooney yeah that's the yeah O. Russell as well so yeah you've got these people that like can get money on screen and they look expensive again michael bay michael bay is 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 the best at that um and this i don't know where the money went um which i'm not actually that interested as 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 a proposition like whatever like that's that's not that's not our expertise um one place that it went clearly is on the cast um the cast is on paper very impressive who do we have 
Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans yep. would be the, the the main two stars, and then Ana mm-hmm. de Armas and Billy Bob Thornton, Thornton I guess, would be next. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's a All there's a range that I like. of character actors kind of scattered throughout as well. Yeah. I like Jessica like, Henwick a lot. Yeah. Every now and then you're like, oh, that's them from that. Yeah. This is great. And and um, I think Ryan Gosling is just very very watchable on screen. Um, I agree. I think that he that he always is, and I think he has the brooding kind of like I don't know. He has a physical presence that the film lacks. Um, oh, for sure. And he and he brings something. Um, now, I enjoyed watching Chris Evans' performance. It is not good. It is from a different film. I yeah. I mean, I feel like I wanted to enjoy it, but very quickly, just it's absolutely true. He is not acting in this movie i I don't know what exactly he's doing but to me he is just not at all convincing as what the movie yeah portrays him as like he is set up as like they call him like a psychopath like multiple times and nothing about his presence matches that at all and he just he does things that are evil i guess but it's like yeah at no point do i feel like oh this guy's crazy you know it's just like he's kind of weird and he wears a he has a big mustache it's like that he's not it feels like there was a mix-up where christian bale's gore the god butcher was supposed to be in this movie and this <laughs> villain was supposed to be in love and thunder because i feel like like there are there are like oscillating tones that don't I, quite fit you know in what? The other i films. see what you mean by that <laughs> um obviously the, the god butcher is, is is much better done but like i don't know this film is so totally strange to me um one because it's almost absent of tone um, oh, yeah. but then it, it has really an is. it has an affected tone so it has the the quippy thing that's the legacy of joss whedon who'll be mentioned later um that he brought the quippiness which we and i use the royal we loved in buffy and firefly we did um, we may look back on those shows now uh, much more critically, and we should. Um, but it was a very popular thing. Um, as David was saying the other day, like Whedon was very much king of the nerds, and obviously for yeah. clear reasons, he is not anymore. But also, outside of moral reasons, there has become like a a dislike to his the tone that he brought. It is it is grating. Oh, yeah. This film does a bit of that, doesn't do it very very well. No. But then it was also quite a serious. It wants to be Mission Impossible, but it also wants to be knockoff Shane Black. And it's not good at either of those things. It's not good at anything. I really, really did not have a good time with this movie. I I, I think, you know, the, the opening to a movie is so important. And this movie could oh, not this have a more so boring opening. It's, it's just Billy Bob Thornton and Ryan Gosling talking in a room. You don't know who either character is. Yeah. And the, the conversation is so uninteresting. It's like... He's inviting Ryan Gosling to this shadow program that you don't know yeah. anything about. I don't know anything about Ryan Gosling's character. And I think the idea is like, ooh, isn't this so mysterious? And we're setting up this character. And I'm like, I don't I don't care about anything that's happening. And, you know, like, it's, just, mm. it's so bland. It's just pure exposition. And then I think my favorite thing is that after that scene, it goes 18 years later, almost yeah. two decades yeah, yeah, yeah. later. It's just Ryan Gosling again, and he has a little bit more of a beard. And I'm like, that's 18 years later. It's just like, it's so lazy to me. This links to my core complaints of the film, which again, I do think is very, very bad. Um, so 
It's this sense of the characterization is so poor and so inconsistent. I feel like the stakes don't carry over from scene to scene. We have this no. like weird twist at the end where like the moral it, clearly clearly the organization they work for is wrong. We only know this because we are the viewer though, and because right. we are used cinematic tropes. We know that because of that. And because we get to cut to the boardroom, they're all basically just like stroking their goatees and being like, hmm, let's get rid of this asset. Like yeah. Ryan Gosling doesn't know that's going on, like he's just doing his mission. Um and there's a bit at the end where it reveals that the one person who has been like oh, maybe we should kill people. Turns out that, no, she's also, like, Machiavelli because now the plot needs her to be a Machiavelli as well. Now yeah. she's going to take advantage of. Bam. And the thing that's with Ryan Gosling's character is it sets up at the beginning, rookie taken from prison, and then it goes, oh, but he needs to be the best killer in the world. Right. All right. So now he's an elite, but in the conversation, but he's in outside, it's in the conversation, they go, who is this new guy? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like he's not from the inner circle. I'm like, well, what is he? Who is he? So is he new? Is he right. old? Is he is he the best? Is he the worst? What is going on here? And it's like the film has to twist itself so hard because everyone in the movie is a terrible person and a mm. hitman and a contract killer. Yeah. Um, none of them are really redeemable. So it has to twist itself so hard to make Ryan Gosling the hero of the movie. And it's just, like, okay, it just well... invents a child to do right. so. It's like he was abused by his dad i guess and that, that makes him talk about. sympathetic and he's rescuing a little girl and isn't that sweet and he's like kind of a father figure and it's just like yeah. i'm like okay but what am i what where, where's the conflict here you know i'm like it's not like they're saving the world or anything it's just yeah. he's fighting to have dirt on someone from the cia and it's like i so All right. let's break down this 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 proper opening scene once we got past the, the the prologue because it is just I like can almost could not believe it watching it. So he he goes in there and he gets given a, a gun from Perfect Dark. I cannot describe it, and that description <laughs> will not work for most of the, most of the audience. I get but he literally gets the... given a gun from Perfect Dark. It's a gun can, that like, goes shoot, through walls. Yeah, literally shoots through walls. It, it it's bigger than like like an apartment like he gets out this gun and it's just like he just stands there underneath like these conveniently glass it's also that it's it, it can see through walls and the floor is also made of glass i'm like pick one or the other like, yeah, like which, which one so he is there and he's below and they're like take this hit and they're speaking about him like i was like mate if you and they said like he's got like a hundred percent confirmed it's like yeah if you gave me the gun that could shoot through walls i would also have hundred percent right. confirmed it doesn't it doesn't really take much it's also got like the conversation style because yes this was like the conversation um <laughs> motion um yeah. camera audio thing i don't know the name is the conversation thing so you can hear the conversations like i the name is escaping me but i know what you mean it's like a long range mic basically yeah positional audio whatever so he's up he's down there being like i'm gonna shoot this one guy and he's they're like shoot the one guy that's his mission he shoot. that's how it's like not even the prologue to a hitman game would have a level this easy of right walk in (laughs) there's the gun shoot the thing i'm like (laughs) did we need you to be here why couldn't the lady that gave you the gun do that with a little super soaker thing opening what is going on so ridiculous and apologies but like it gets stupider because he's down there he's like i'm gonna shoot this guy and they're like shoot the guy and then suddenly a kid drops a glass and he's like oh no there's a child standing in the vicinity of this man i won't shoot him to me it's just this scene is just crazy because right like and also, it, it's nitpicky, but the idea that he's been a contract killer for the CIA mm. for 18 years, 18 and this, years. Is the, this is the first time that any kind of collateral has come up as an issue in his job. But I didn't, but generally, 
Vaughn, I don't understand because he still just has a gun. Like, all he's going to do is just, like, shoot him once. And, like, also, he's I was underneath the him. Same he's thing. I'm like, him. is this really a worry? Is this a shotgun? How many, like, where are you, how much <laughs> like, are you firing? You're not a very yeah. good hitman if you have to is hit the kid. This is a rocket propelled grenade. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, sorry. We gave you a bazooka. <laughs> it's the only God. thing that we had. But then it's his a, solution yeah. is just to. Stab everyone. Kill, to kill like 10 people instead of just the one guy and cause complete chaos at this event like yeah i don't i don't really see how that's better yeah because he's holding the gun right and they're like you have permission to go loud i'm like oh, i should hope so you've given him the gun that's the only thing right. he has what do you There's mean no, he has to shoot through a glass floor to kill this guy at some point someone's gonna notice this is not a stealth <laughs> mission it's so dumb but like the film just like yeah keep moving keep moving keep moving keep moving and then we get to an, an even dumber bit of when he sees beating up the guy and the guy's like hey mate what's your name six oh my name's four and they're like oh god i'm an operative too and then he oh, says a thing that only he would know and it's like ah. Oh. and so you don't really know why they're sending out Operatives kill operatives. So it's like a, again, seeing as it was as easy as the gun that could shoot through walls going, <laughs> maybe don't set an operative to call the operative. Maybe just make Anadar Amos just do it. And then guy's like, I've got a USB stick around my neck. Do you want it? And he's like, yeah, I'll betray everything I've held true for 18 years. So, yeah, why not? So he goes to a gaming cafe. <laughs> where they're playing Dota. And they're <laughs> shouting, shoot him, shoot Take him the shot. Take the shot. <laughs> I also, I love... Again, it's like it's nitpicky, but it's just like the stupid things you notice when you check out on a movie. And like, <laughs> I love that he goes to like this state of the art gaming cafe and he yeah. p- plugs in the hard drive and it's like Windows XP is like the UI. Comes <laughs> up. <laughs> it's almost as good as the Resident Evil TV series where someone uses um, on a like Microsoft laptop via MS Paint. FaceTime oh, that's than it right. is offline. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do always love stuff like that. Absolutely oh, brilliant. But so yeah, the, that's how the Grey Man starts. And that, that that's the conflict, right? Is that, oh no, he's stolen an asset that you've seen Mission Impossible 1, right? Yeah, seen all of, I love Mission it's Impossible. It's just it's just that. That's that's just the yeah. whole the, it's just it's it's the same plot. That if like you've got the encrypted list and it wants to be that more like De Palmer-esque, like grounded, because the Mission Impossibles have got more into stunt showcases whereas that first film is like neo-noir like spy stuff and this kind of wants to be that but has no plot to hang on that at all no yeah there is just the narrative is so uninteresting and again like the Mm. characters are so poorly characterized and also uninteresting that like what am i supposed to be interested in in this movie because also like it just goes the entire movie is basically just like how do we make a catalyst to get to the next yeah. giant action set piece but every set yeah. piece is so ugly and at exactly. a certain point when everything is like so huge i'm like i just don't care like you need to have some kind of like escalation to the one final thing but it's like everything yeah. is the climax of the movie and there's a plane exploding and there's a train exploding and it's just like i you gotta slow down at some point so I've I've been watching a bunch of Jacques Demy films recently, which sounds like a bizarre segue in, but it makes <laughs> sense. And there's a there's a Jacques Demy short, um, La Luxure, so Lettery, his one of his it was part of a Seven Deadly Sins French New Wave compendium. And it's a really fun short. And it just starts with this like from the get go, like Canberra falls in the street and he it's so well blocked, like he's just like kind of like gesturing and almost dancing. Like, you can see like the future like musical filmmaker there. Yeah. And just like all the energy comes from the camera. It comes right. from knowing how to use 
well, in my view, as the verbs of filmmaking. There are things that you can do. There are devices yeah. and techniques. And cam- the camera is the key part of filmmaking. And this is how you deploy narrative. It adds narrative to things. And fight scenes are narrative scenes. Absolutely. They're not major narratives, but they're micro-narratives. Um, and the Russos in this film have no want to tell anything with no. a camera. No want at all. The camera is not used in a film as a narrative device. This film is entirely yeah. told through editing. It's horrendously um, it shot. Yeah, it, it, it's all insert shots, almost everything. Just like, bam, yeah. oh, we must cover that, cover that, cover that. And it, it it thinks that you create narrative propulsion through change the next shot, but none of the shots are in any way interesting. None of the shots are actually conducive to anything. It has no idea what to do with anything. And the thing they keep going back to is just these, these drone footage, which I know you quite yeah. liked Ambu Alliance. Um, I did, because I, I think part it does of the reason why... It definitely does do it better, but I think also part of why I like it so much in that movie is it, it just it feels like Michael Bay just discovered drones in the middle of that movie and he's really excited yeah. to be using them. And I just find yeah. that cool. Like he just is excited to have this cool technology, whereas this movie is trying to use it very functionally, I guess, and it just it's it's boring. I mean it's not it's not an interesting I think it's way to worse use the than camera. boring. It really annoyed me. So there's this one shot where you go to lady they have a meeting at a toilet or something, I don't know why. <laughs> and it it goes to generally they do it goes to an establishing shot of location and and again the verbs of filmmaking the key parts you need to establish location go in and the establishing shot is just a drone just swooping vroom in for no reason right. there is no t- there is no tension this is not a siege scene of the building like cameras imply things through movement um yeah. i was speaking to sixton recently about his short um grass wizard um which can be on the stacks feed soon talking about it and how what a great thing he does in that short is in the opening scene the camera is a point of view shot from a character. And what that does is it imbues the rest of the film with this sense of a presence behind the camera. So yeah. every shot has a lingering presence. Cameras imply things to things. When you see a swooping shot at something, that's implying action, that's implying energy. You can't go from that just like, we're in a boardroom now. Like, Why is yeah. that there? Apart from that he thinks that the audience is just so dumb that it just needs to just be like, that's fun, isn't it? I'll say briefly, I, I, I expect that we'll have a full episode on nope soon once you are able to see it but Mm. i I will say a a thing that i really loved about that movie is i think at least 90 percent of that movie is handheld and it gives it such an energy because like i was genuinely looking for like is all of this just handheld because i love that like it it gives it that really intimate feeling where like you are a part of the experience and it's like that's how you actually use a camera what's that it's his first Dogma 95 movie. He's actually... He's, <laughs> he's a little late to that movement. But. Yeah, he's, he's a little late, but he probably, he probably try it out. Um, apologies for undercutting with a joke, as always. Um, but, yeah. Um, the Simpsons Dogma is bad. Another key point for me. So there's one fight scene in the film that's almost good. Um, it is a hand-to-hand fight on a plane, and then it becomes uncharted and is, and is rubbish. Um, I have complaints so, about that, but go ahead. And yeah. Um but this scene isn't even good. I say it's almost good because you yeah. get like one of the only mid shots to actually frame something. It's not quite wide, like it's, it's kept mid, and you can actually, which you know, film is below mid. Um, so you've got the people fighting, and it actually lets them fight, but then it's got some like stupid effects. It's got some stupid smoke that cuts everything up. But what it does that really irritates me is there's a gun on the floor, um, and you can see there's a gun on the floor. But the filmmakers are like, rather than letting the camera have a narrative unfold, what if one viewer hasn't seen the gun on the floor you know like how hitchcock would frame like the important thing at the back so say if there's like 
or, or like a good thriller director. Let's say like someone's discovering like an affair, and you know like there's a glass and they have lipstick on it. You don't just like zoom in on that. You're like, right. you leave it just out the edge. You're like, oh, that's there, and that's there, and it's going to be used. It's going to be important. So the guns on the floor, and the camera just moves down to look at it, which cuts off the heads of the people fighting, so you can't even watch the scene anymore. Yeah. It's like, there's a gun there, and he picks up and shoots some people. I'm like, you have no interest in actually cinematically telling anything. Just pure denotion. It's just denotation. I'm like, there's a thing, there's a thing, there's a thing. Ugh. Yeah, I, I, and I would say my major complaint is, like, the smoke stuff, which is in, like, yeah. every action scene. Like, they feel the need to just flood the whole thing with smoke or something to, like, obfuscate all the action and boy does that get exhausting because then it's just increasingly clear that there is no effort being put into the action itself and there's no yeah. actual choreography and again like they use like those insert insert shots and quick editing to just like mask bad choreography which is so frustrating and it's like the yep. not the born legacy because that is a really bad movie but the legacy <laughs> of the born series where that <laughs> they sort of <laughs> pioneered that style of of like that quick cut action stuff but the difference is that like the Bourne movies weren't masking bad choreography that was just the style of the movie and it was still a well they're still well composed films that have interesting action and even if you mm. even if you cut quickly and make it frantic you can still tell that there's good action in the middle and it's also part of the aesthetic as well right it's like it's a it's a wider aesthetic choice it's not just that is not just the action doing that like it is commitment to the whole filmmaking of like that verite handheld and it comes like documentary filmmaking like i mean it's green grass isn't it at least like at least second one is uh maybe the first i forget um but that sense like bringing that kind of like handheld documentary realism but like bringing it to an action film was was really interesting and um, now we are here this many years later and it 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 sucks yeah it's just i mean when that's that stuff it just becomes an idea and people don't understand Mm. what made it work in the first place and clearly the russos don't understand what actually makes action compelling because it makes me think about winter soldier because winter soldier is so great and i think the action yeah this is is really good action that movie but it's like to me, it just is clear that it has nothing to do with the Russo brothers, and they just happened to have a really great stunt team and choreography team on that movie, and yeah. didn't on this movie, or didn't care to make sure that there was a good team. Maybe they have, like, just, like, have, at this point, have an inflated sense of that they can make good action, and... Well, the action in Civil War is dreadful. Relying on things, yeah. And the Avengers, their Avengers movies are just, like, they do a lot with lots of characters, but they're like not that interesting outside of that, to to, to me at least. Right. Um, yeah. Another like super irritating thing in the movie is like the so there's the two stupid plots. There's the giving the daughter plot to just like give humanity this man that sucks. But that does lead to my favorite bit of the movie where he explains his tattoo, which is his Sisyphus <laughs> tattoo, and so then just mis- and then just misexplains the myth of Sisyphus, missing off the key bit at the end. Hilarious. But I've, re- I've read about that elsewhere. I checked my review on that when I, I go through that in detail because it was so funny to me. Um, but the parental abuse stuff, I think, actually becomes really, really heinous. It starts off as being like eye-rolling, being like, oh, yep, someone, you know, have this abuse of the kids storyline, let's stop this. But the implication of the ending, right, is that it does that classic thing of he's being pushed down. And a cinema loves to do is that we, we apparently, when we're being attacked, we have memories that it's like a right. it's like a video game tutorial. It's like very much like, ah, oh, I forgot I had the run button. Bam. So he's being drowned, and he's like, I've been drowned before. I escaped from that. 
oh, I can escape now. So the actual <laughs> logic of that is, if your dad hadn't have actually bullied you and abused you and been horrendous, then you would have died God, that's then. A really good so point. it's good. It's good that he did that, isn't it? Because you would. So, it's like you don't need to narratively explain right. why he can throw Chris Evans off him. It's like it's believable that these two burly men will overpower each other. Yeah. But it's like no. Luckily, Daddy beat me enough that I can beat up Chris Evans now. And what a poor use of Shea Wiggum, who is a great actor and is just a voiceless, abusive dad in this movie. He has like maybe two lines, and I'm like, why? <laughs> like, I it guess seems, this movie. Um, it seems it's full of people like that. There's there's another actor who yeah. I. I have forgotten the name of um uh Danush uh, Danush yeah who again like huge international cinema star so I guess like, do you remember when like the people from the raid were in yeah. Force Awakens and I I got so excited at the casting I was like oh they just they just they just died thankfully John Wick did a better job of using the raid guys yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um Yes, movie sucks. Um, there's one point where they push him down a hole with just enough that he needs to survive. I'm like, well, yeah, if you push me down a hole with a backpack, I'll be fine as well. <laughs> oh, that's that whole sequence is so ridiculous. That character is so weird. Like he has a trap door in his photo in his photo <laughs> like, booth. That that I was like, why isn't this? Why isn't this kind of thing the movie? Like, why isn't it right. all about just like shady? But then it's John because that's John Wick, right? Isn't right. It? Like you go to just like strange, weird, like strange lighting caricature man that has a photo booth that he exposes at you and then trapdoor. I was like, this, this I'm into. But then it's like, why did you leave him down there with his gun in his backpack? Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. It really is just I mean you, you mentioned the raid, which made me think of it. Like I feel like almost every action sequence just feels like it's trying to do something from another movie. Yeah. And that is what ends up to me. I'm just like, why am I watching this instead of watching the better movies that you're trying to imitate? Like there's a sequence that at least reminded me of like the final fight in the raid where it's like the the two guys um yeah the one oh, guy like yeah. there's a scene that kind the of sets itself fight. up like that and i'm just like i could just be watching the raid <laughs> which is a way better movie yeah. yeah 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 but you know what i mean why are we watching this i mean we're watching it for podcast reasons but also i think we would anyway it's that sense of it's the headlines yeah. of it's they said this movie costs us much money and there comes a point and there are some notable exceptions, but you you pay so much that the budget becomes the selling point, yeah. and therefore you become too big to fail. Um, and because the Netflix business is so stupid, I think some of the accused of being money laundering because it just looks so cheap. Um, but I mean, whatever. I think it's just it will it will get its money back in a way um, because people are talking about it, and Netflix are in the business of making you talk about it. Yeah, they don't care if you so. like it or dislike it. They want you to stay subscribed, be talking about their stuff, and the moment that you've seen they spend 200 whatever on this, you'll think they'll do that again. Um, and that's that's how it works. Which is exactly, like, I was looking through recent like other recent Netflix like action movies that they've released, and it's like, I'm Extraction. like, wow, like these all just like so blending i haven't even seen most of them but um uh extraction i did see that's the chris hemsworth one which yeah. is it's it's not terrible there's at it's least like, it's it's got a couple of really nice like really good nasty bits in it yeah and there's um, like at least attempts at filmmaking there that like this yeah. movie does not have but um, yeah, yeah, yeah um kate also like in very okay movie i didn't watch that um army of the dead the old guard red notice oh God, like yeah. all just bad 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 right like it's 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 like why is all and all of those i feel like just come up as like here's the person here's the name that's attached to it and we spent a yeah. lot of money on it and that's just like yeah 
Red Notice I, did amazingly well, though, didn't it? Like it was their like most watched movie. I think so. Yeah, and it's just like uh, to me, yeah. action is not a genre that I associate with needing tons of money. You know, it's like the some of the best action movies are just budget things that know how to do good choreography and you know mm. create an interesting. You know, I mean, I like the again to bring it back to the raid. Like the raid, the original one is a does not come across as like a hugely expensive movie. It's it's very like. It, it feels very like gorilla, you know, yeah. and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I agreed. the the people behind it know how to make an action movie, and that's what makes it compelling. But Netflix speaking of the people, that. people behind things, let's go to the people behind us. Let's drag ourselves out of the gray man abyss. Yes, please. Um, yeah, and uh, chuck some emails our way from our our wonderful community and listeners. <laughs> Thankfully, we've got some great questions that are much more fun to talk about. We always, we always do. Man. We always do. I always love the, the email segment. So first, we have an email from Beb. Hey. Hello, hey, Beb. Hey, boys. Long time The Gray Man <laughs> fan here. I have a bunch of questions about this movie for you both, so feel free to answer whichever ones you like best. I'm going to go through okay. all of them because that's what I do, and these are all great questions. Yeah. Um, please rank several kaiju in terms of how well you'd think they'd place in a season of Survivor okay cool cool, cool, cool. um so i just because i like to throw things at you i did not provide you with this in advance yeah yeah and you know that i enjoy this so it works out for both of us um but i'll come i'll give you my answers um first i think iris would probably be high up there in terms of because that is i mean first of all what a kaiju best Mm. kaiju one of the best movies in general um but I feel like the the drive. There's so much drive in Iris being fueled by revenge. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. They would go far it's in a, good a surviving feel. situation. Um, second answer: the octopus from Frankenstein conquers the world. You never see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's always going to be there. <laughs> Ugh, see, I can't do jokes like that because I don't get the questions in advance. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the sheer survivability of Hedera of like has, oh, has got to be a too. part of it. Absolutely. Um, but, by Alante because just like grows and like becomes nature in that way. I think I think works really also nicely. Um, so those two are real standouts for me. Going further afield, I mean, you know, the X amount of space can just wreck up anything because that's what the X amount of space does. Um, obviously, um, hmm. Do I think what one needs to survive on Survivor? Um, Maybe Dimogen, because like Dimogen is like big Ooh, statue man. Okay. They're just like absolutely giant and can like rest and can just like sit it out for like millennia and then come back in a Takeshi Mike movie like, <laughs> like a centuries pro- he's, later. He's like a protector character, you know? Like I yeah. get that. Yeah, he's got that Like I think he's big it. on surviving. Real big on surviving. So yeah, great question. Thank you very much. Alternatively, I feel like Pulgasari would be like out immediately because there's no metal on a remote <laughs> island. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point good up, Pogasari. I love Pogasari. Uh, what a great okay. boy uh, what would you spend 200 million dollars on if a big company gave you a ton of money I'd probably make a movie that, that's made 249 thousand dollars at the box office but that's just me <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh god um, what would I um, hmm I mean, I would obviously do some like weird art prank. I would like, I would obviously spend so much money on something that does not 
merit that amount. Like weird really art re- prank. I just like the idea of that is so great. Yeah, I just, I, I just. I mean, obviously, I would, I would distribute and, and, and use it to actually deal with things. Um, mm, but if I had to use it for a work of art, um, I would give it to Hong Sang Soo. I would a two hundred million dollar Hong Sang Soo yeah. movie. I yeah. would absolutely love to see that. That that does sound. I would great. give it I to mean... Hong Sang Soo, and I'd say also I bought the Star Wars license. That's even better. And I'm saying, I, but they only gave me Salacious Crumb. So you're making Salacious Crumb a Star Wars story. I love the idea of taking prestige franchise properties and just buying them to give them to very, <laughs> like, small budget auteur directors. Yeah. So Hong Sang Su's making a, a Salacious idea. Crumb movie. I can't wait to see that. Um, I feel like I would just build, like, a very high end luxury, like, art house theater where I can. That's nice. Program whatever I want, and all the ticketing is just free because I have all this money. Oh, that sounds nice. That's a, yeah. you know I preferred my idea, but you know I you know I prefer your idea too. But <laughs> uh, do you think a kung fu movie where they fight on a moving roller coaster would be cool? Please brainstorm mm. ideas. Uh, very bad yeah. question, as we've learned recently. And yes, I do think that would be cool. I think, I think you've got to have the bit where like there's two trains passing, you jump from one oh, yeah. to the other train, and also the loop, the loop's got to have like a like an uppercut to the someone above. Oh yeah, like 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 dragon punching someone or like doing a flip kick as it's it's going around the loop, the loop. You, you've got to have that. Um, I think in general, the zanier you can get a kung fu concept, the better better it ends up being. So I think this oh, is using just... those belts to like hit people, like bam, 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 oh, yeah. like three times in the face of like a belt. You could really, you this... could really have a ball with this. Yeah, you really could. And like using momentum, uh, jumping on, jumping back, like oh, there's just so much to do. If you just levels high in like a theme park in general, I want to see like a fight where they're like standing on inner tubes in like the lazy river. Mmm. And Very just like a little swinging, slower, but like merry-go-round, just like swinging around. Oh, there you go. Oh. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be workshopping that. That'll come out soon. So, Bad Thing, you get your $200 million, please make that movie. Yeah. Um, if you had a company that was bleeding money and customers fast and needed to save it with one big move, what would you this do? This seems strangely hypothetical. I just I don't know what this refers to. <laughs> Um, I would be really happy that I had something like a new big Lord of the Rings TV series. Oh no, that's the other one. Oh no, yeah, that is a problem. Um, it's. I think I, I would give. This... I think I would give two hundred million dollars to Hong Sang Soo is what I would. Yeah, do. <laughs> I mean, I still this one seriously. I think that instead of being like, so the the Netflix was 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 everywhere and is default and is now not doing very yes. very well. Um. I just think it's just this is what happens if you just have a long string of anti-consumer like decisions. Like yeah, they've been I, so anti-consumer for so long, like rampant right. price hikes with no real reason, trying to stamp down on this idea. There's that quote: "They want everything you watch to be Netflix." They moved yes. out from the trying to have everything to only Netflix stuff. Obviously, it's been impacted by other people joining the streaming stuff, but I think their push yeah. to be a channel as opposed to a platform, I think, has been very damaging. Because I think the the problem is like it became so ubiquitous that yeah then like all mm. these other companies made their own streaming services so like there's no like redeeming netflix in the sense that you could get it back to being a central hub like we're so far beyond that so like yeah. then it becomes how do you actually get netflix to have interesting content and it's like i feel like there was a point where they were getting there where they were they started to really go around and like 
what their main mode seemed to be just like buying up stuff from festivals that were like from these prestige directors which is great and i feel like they're doing that less and it's like if they just did that more that would be because yeah when you have that like market share and you have that like netflix is so ubiquitous like you could use that for good and push art that more people should see but instead they you know just make horrendous blockbusters i mean there's there's two things for me i mean one i i completely agree it's that sense of they need to keep it, it makes think of steam actually of being like is steam the best marketplace to p- play pc games at this point probably not um but it has the history thing and legacy thing like yeah. netflix does but what steam has that netflix doesn't have is it has a dedicated fan base who see that as being gaming um yes. And they needed to cultivate that. There are people, because of the relationship with Valve and the quality things that Valve put out and because of the ubiquity of Steam and it's become a platform because Steam becomes the place for PC games and Netflix needed to become the place for streaming, for streaming video. Um, But they pushed it to like the boutique of this is the place to watch the Netflix stuff. I genuinely think that's a real issue of that sense of you check out Netflix, then you check out Amazon. It it never was your one-stop shop. Like Valve don't make very many things when they do make a thing it's of a high quality and if netflix were more like we we will make a thing that you're going to want to see we will put out an irishman and you're going to want to see that yeah but like there are like five netflix ones a week and that's just a problem after a cent um the other thing i will say is the thing they should do and have done to keep me subscribing is um netflix published the mobile port of into the breach that just came out did they really that's yes into the breach one of my favorite games in general actually but definitely the last few years like an amazing strategy game a tactics game amazing tactics game um you can download on your phone um for free but you log into the app via netflix so i'm now probably not going to like i've cancelled it at points and like come back to watch stuff for for reviewing purposes but i will now probably keep netflix because i can play into the breach on my phone i mean yeah that's uh, which actually is more expensive than just buying well, into yes. the breach but i can't <laughs> buy into the breach on my phone yeah. that's the issue i have it on switch i could play it there but i want to play it on my phone so i, I will say another thing that netflix should do that i feel like i can't believe they haven't since it seems like people have been asking for it for years um make commentaries accessible don't know why you don't do that it seems like oh, such yeah. a no-brainer to just add commentaries as an extra audio track and people ask for that and they just don't do it it's like you know, if you're going to be like this prestige company, it's like you should give people the, those features, especially if you're, they're never going to put out DVDs or anything anymore. It's like, yeah, you should give people that stuff that, you know, rather than yeah. just create. A, yeah, make it feel special, make it feel like a place. Yeah, it, exactly. it, it does not anymore. Like, I'm, you know, it, now, like the whole top 10 thing, I'm like, well, that's just it's like Resident Evil TV series in the top 10. I'm like, yeah, of course it is new. Like, I, right. who cares? Um, yeah, good question. Think about Um final question from beb though how cold do you like your water um cold cold yeah, i like it very i like cold. it i like very cold, cold water as like, well. I'm glad we're unless it's like really really cold but if it's like really really cold i'm not drinking water like i'm probably having a, a cup of something warm so when i'm going to water oh it's, i see it's what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still cold year round but i, I get what you're yeah, saying yeah yeah yeah. no I, I would always i would never just like tepid or lukewarm water is disgusting and That's like true. hot water just has that taste you know like when you've got like crappy 
it reminds me of camping because you're like you're cooking something up in a, like a stove like camping yeah. as a kid and like like Ribena I don't, I don't know if Ribena is a state thing but like I don't know God knows what you have in the states so you've got like some squash is that even a states thing who knows got some squash in your, in your water and it just it just has that taste of just boiled water I had some like crappy coffee yesterday because I used up my actual coffee and I, I don't usually have any stuff like, this is just, just tastes of boiled water and I don't want that keep water cold I totally agree um, this, I like the water segment on the podcast now Mm. Um, thanks for covering this excellent movie best Beb aka the grey man fan <laughs> the grey fan <laughs> uh, thank you for that email Beb okay uh, email from Carol hello spoilers speaking as someone who has not yet seen the grey man and I like <laughs> don't know it's too late no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can only begin this email by commending your willingness to do the dirty work as critics that we mere fans are unwilling to do <laughs> That being said, I do remain curious. The Russo brothers are often characterized in online film circles as managerial directors who can wrangle an ensemble mm. cast and command large-scale productions with little unique artistic insight. But if you were forced to describe their artistic voice, what they attempt to communicate with that voice, and what their place is in the modern landscape of filmmakers, what would you say? God, that's a good question. Um, it is a good go question. <laughs> um, it is a tough question. I think that their earlier stuff in terms of the at least like the two brilliant paintball episodes of community and like the and and again like we both do like the winter soldier a lot like i feel like that stuff sort of does showcase like what they can be good at and like yeah they are great at like wrangling these casts it's just like they need a better team behind them to execute what i assume is the idea of their vision like i think that they can be good at action set pieces as long as they don't get so like bloated like the other thing that's nicer about winter soldier is it's not like this huge movie like a lot of it does feel smaller and more contained it's not trying to be what civil war or the infinity war endgame stuff like where it's this giant world ending thing that's where it just becomes cgi nonsense so while I don't disagree with Carol at all, I do disagree with the wider film circle here. I don't think they are good at that. I don't think they have not shown me, and this is where my taste diverged, basically, I think. But when I think of their attempts to wider casting, I think Civil War is a mess. I think it doesn't yeah. nothing it, it doesn't make its characters make sense at all. I think the character balancing in the Infinity two parter I don't think is very good either. I don't think they pull that together very interestingly. Right. They've got the whole f- bunch of moments there that like are terrible. Like everyone points to that stupid moment of all the female characters run for a bit, and I think that that is a wider franchise problem, but it also shows their inability to balance things and the way it just like flutters yeah. around. So I, I I don't think they are that. I I think why the question is difficult for me is I don't know what they are. I don't know what they bring. So I don't think they really bring anything um, fundamentally. I think Winter Soldier is a very, very good film, but I feel, as you've said, I think that's more of the crew behind it. And yeah. they, they wanted to make that kind of spy thriller um, for that character. And they're coming off the back of, they're coming off, off the back foot really interestingly, because like, you know, the previous Captain America movie was not amazingly well received. It was kind of boring. So they had to prove something. Yeah. And in this position of power, I don't think they are very interesting voices. They don't really, really have a voice. They don't bring anything. They are just like, they're just salary men. They're just there they are people behind the camera that just exist to get the project done and they just seem completely uninteresting and and i think that's because they were dragged out of making interesting referential stuff to now franchise things with no in between and right. they the voice is so separate from clear voice in sitcom stuff bringing right. that to this thing now being so divergent they have nothing to bring here 
And I don't mean that to be as like insulting as it sounds. It's just like, this isn't the place for them. They haven't got to it yet. Or maybe it's just not for them in general. Yeah, I, I think it is. Like, I do think that like this film in particular is very indicative of that. Like, because they did do an interesting spy thriller. But mm. to then compare it to this, where it's like, ostensibly here they had much more control over what they were making and it's nonsense yeah it's terrible and it's like so maybe they weren't actually the ones that succeeded in making the winter soldier you know like maybe now we're actually seeing like what they can do and it's not very good and so maybe there's nothing really there to be to be interested in and i'm sure with the winter soldier it goes back to that thing of being like i bet all that's in the comics and i bet even some of the shots that we know as being like good shots is just like that's from the comics and again what like it's why I like Shin Ultraman quite a lot, that sense of it's very good in Shin Ultraman of like framing sequences like their comic panels and like that can be such a great visual indicator of how to make a movie of when you have yeah. images to base your thing on, that's how it looks. Shin Ultraman isn't obviously based on that way, but it's, it's shot in that way. But if you have that actual backsource there to go for, so maybe they um, can yeah. replicate. They can replicate. Another, another movie we've talked about, Rikio, is the same thing where it's like it just like rips images yeah. from the, the manga, at least according to mm. people that have read the manga who I do trust. Um, I trust Cody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, continuing this email as an easy follow-up, do you have any favorite commercial journeyman directors of your own? Um, I mean, is is Tony Scott like not fair? I wouldn't. I don't think of Tony Scott in that way. I don't think because I don't know if he ever got a movie, you know, of this scale. Really, like I don't think of him as a commercial director. Is Michael Apted wrong? <laughs> I, I don't know Michael Apted um, Michael Apted made like some boring franchise movies like some boring James Bond movies but also made the Up series that like seminal documentary oh, okay. series that follow people through time so it was just like doing like journeyman stuff over there um, I, I, a friend of mine Adam Page uh, a really good friend of mine occasionally throws this question at me because he loves his idea of the directors and um it is really, really interesting of like the people that because it, it's it's so of a different juices and we don't really have so much anymore of like here's the safe hands get it done and I think it's hard nowadays because I don't think there are that many of them though I think some of our listeners will be like we well, think if it should be blah blah and blah um, before West Side Story came out I would have said Steven Spielberg like legitimately yeah, I I think Spielberg definitely toes that line in, in between those worlds I guess like where he has done stuff that's much smaller but like. He'll like, get you yeah, remade. He, he's very much in between, but yeah, I, I do think he is a he is a good answer for that. I was thinking, for me, I was thinking of Gore Verbinski because I think he has done very that. well with big budgets, and like to me, he's he's of that generation of like these people got tons of money and they did it all practically to the extent that they could, and like seeing some of the behind the scenes stuff that he did for Pirates of the Caribbean, it's just like that's like what i want blockbuster filmmaking to be you know like these really amazingly you know like immaculately crafted set pieces rather than just just a shame let's put a bunch stuff. of smoke in a fight scene you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, i mean you know say what you want about chris nolan but like man gets a film made um oh as yeah well. for sure i almost felt cheating putting that as my answer but uh yeah totally agree i, I do like nolan a lot Hmm. That's that's I want to think on more actually. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that and maybe maybe return to you in the Discord because that's 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 interesting. It is a, it um, is a good really, question. It was it it's not really my area of film out. to be fair. So yeah. I, I I feel like you tell me like you name like dependable horror names I can go, but I feel like the franchise stuff is ah uh, whatever Michael Bay like you know. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, Michael Bay definitely dependable in that. I think he's often known to like come in under budget, but he's yeah. also his movies are not his output is not that impressive in a in a wider yeah. sense. So, no, no, no. Um, but he'll out. put that money on screen. Yes, absolutely, you will. Um, hope that you're both doing tremendously. I am. Kind regards, yeah, no, Carol. No, not bad, thank you. Thank you. Um, before we move on, I want to hear your answer. Yeah, for last week's this. question, David's question. Yeah. Which, you know, let me pull that email up and reread the question before you get into it. But David's question to you on the last episode was, Stephen, I would like for you to order for me the directors of every MCU film based on the quality of their output outside the Marvel machine. I expect zero bias and complete objectivity in this exercise. I, I've done it. I've got it. I listened to that and I made it straight away. Um, I opened loads of tabs, looked for for a minute. I was tempted to, because some of them were like maybe would be higher if I'd seen Blah. Like there are some blind spots here. I was yeah. gonna fill it up and then I decided to watch um, Vada and Demi films all weekend instead. So I was gonna commit. I was gonna <laughs> a commit much more better than I said. endeavor. I think. And I was like, actually no. I was like, I yeah. was like, I should really watch Chloe Zhao's other two movies. And I was like, no, I shouldn't. No, I shouldn't do that. I'm not gonna do that. So I didn't. Um, so um, I have. 19 names here actually I have more than 19 because like one of them is a directorial pair um so 20 names um i think is only one pair here yeah there's only one pair i want you to start um, at the bottom because i want to work our way up i want to start with the, with the disqualifieds um so the disqualifieds is john watts and kate shortland because i've not seen anything else they've done um okay. so john watts did cop car which i've not seen kate shortland i looked up a film called berlin syndrome that matt a friend of the show has got a positive like rating for so maybe Kate Shortland will be way higher up. Um, she looks interesting, um, but I could not just like you know I was told objectivity. Yeah. So I almost put her like like ten like whatever. She seems cool. <laughs> but then objectivity. So now remember the question right was there? What was the wording again? Uh, let me get back to it. Um, order for me the directors of every MCU yeah. film based on the quality of their output outside the Marvel output machine. Output outside the Marvel machine. So in at number 17, lowest place, Joss Whedon. Because outside of Marvel, he does abuse. Um, so I'd say I'd put that at the bottom. <laughs> well, you know what? I think that's absolutely fair. That, that, is, uh, that is what he's doing outside of the Marvel machine. I can't disagree with you. Sustained abuse. And, so and I also have machine. no interest in defending him, so sure. Yeah, right so, at the bottom. <laughs> so, so yeah, at the bottom. Sorry, Joss Whedon. Um, number 16, I've got Alan Taylor, um, which I should have noted down what Marvel films they directed. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't even recognize that name. <laughs> so Alan Taylor, who you will know as the director of Terminator Genesis, and that's why he is down oh, there. That's why I don't remember his name. He yeah, directed so, Thor The Dark World. <laughs> yeah, so Thor The Dark World director and than did Thomas Genesis. Yeah. So he is he is down at number 16. Number 15 is Anthony and Joe Russo. Um, wow, because yeah. they... I mean, their only good film is an MCU movie. But so if, you're saying, if, was... if you're saying wider output, then don't you have to include community and Arrested Development? Oh, yeah. Maybe... maybe oh, I didn't really think about that. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move them. If you're going to knock Joss Whedon for the abuse, I think you have to give them credit for community and the rest okay, of the Okay, I've, I've burnt them up. Okay, fine. In it, all right. So, 16, Alan Taylor. 15, Kenneth Branagh. Okay. Um, yeah. Much to do about nothing is brilliant, but like it's been just this, this like just onslaught of absolute crap movies. Um, and he is now like a cultural, he is a cultural minus to my nation at this point. Um <laughs> So that's a that's a real problem for me. Um, Belfast now, is horrendous. Now in fourteen, 
Um, and that's not even his worst movie of recent times. Like the, the those oh, Daphne and I was so dreadful. Um, Fourteen is Louis Leterrier. Another one that I do not remember, and you, I like you didn't write any of this down. You don't even know. I know. I I, I wrote in the other movies he made. I just didn't write down the <laughs> the uh, Marvel movie he made because um, I thought I'd remember. So oh, again, Louis Leterrier, that makes sense. The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk. Okay. He also did. On the plus side, Transporter 1 and 2. That's why he's above the Terminator Genesis guy. But he also made Now You See Me, which is a film that's almost unwatchably bad. Um, oh, no. And Look Clash of the Titans. Um, I'm looking so, at this and seeing bam. that he's now attached to Fast 10 and I am now terrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, not yeah. good news. So, so he's at 14. At 13, we have Chloe Zhao, um, because Nomadland is not very good. Um, and I agree with you on that. I do yeah. not like Nomadland. And I did not watch... As did not watch her white stuff. Um, in at twelve, I have um, Anthony and Joe Russo, um, <laughs> 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 who are up this high um, because I like community and rest of development. Um, but the grey man sucks. In at eleven, we have Ryan Fleck and Anna Boden, who are the people behind Captain Marvel. Um, right. They also made ha- Half Nelson, which I actually did quite like. Haven't seen. Um, so Half Nelson's really quite good. They did other okay. stuff I've not seen, but like that. A one-off, like whatever. That's not enough for me to like really boost it up because it wasn't that impressive. But I did yeah. like Half Nelson. Um, above that, number ten, John Favreau, because okay. we have Jungle Book. I really liked um, the live-action Jungle Book. I thought it was really, really good. Um, Elf, I don't really like very much. And I agree. I'm Lion not a huge King, fan of Elf. Um, I like Lion Chef King. A lot, I thought though. was dreadful. I've never seen Chef. Um, I know oh, that Mando wants me to watch it. So yeah, and then Lion King was an atrocity. Um, at number nine. Got Peyton Reed. I don't know if I've seen anything he has done outside. Um, Like, I don't know, like, Dependable Fine? Oh yeah, I have not seen any of these. Except I believe I saw, like, half of Yes Man a long time ago, but not enough to remember it. Um, I think Bring It On's really, really good. That's why I put it here. I really like Bring It On. I've not seen it since I was a child, um, but I like Bring It On a lot. Um, he seems fine. Like he's working and stuff. He knows what he's doing. Um, and yeah, so of the thing that I'd seen was bring it on, bring it on, absolutely fine. Are we following? Are we following? Yes. Yep. No, I'm, I'm right with you. What's next? What do we got? Um, in at eight. So now we're getting into people that actually make good stuff. So that's pretty much just like that's the people that I don't really like and have nothing right. to say about. Um, so eight, Scott Derrickson, um, because I okay. quite liked yeah. um, the Black Phone. I've not seen the Exorcism of Emily Rose, and I've not seen Sinister. Um, I haven't seen Sinister either. I've not seen Sinister because I didn't think I would like it. So I'm presuming there. Um, James Gunn I put as high as number seven because I only like his his (laughs) non-superhero things. But then I remembered that the Suicide Squad is not MCU. So that brings it down. So I really like Sliver. I think Sliver is brilliant. Um, I liked Super when I watched it a lot. I will not go back to it because I bet I would not now. Um, But... And I liked Lollipop Chainsaw when I played it. So, you know what? Bam. I can stay there. All right. Um, okay. In at six, which I consider being at five, um, six is Joe Johnston. Okay. Joe Johnston. I forget what... Um, I want to say that he was the um, Captain America guy. Um, yes. You yeah. are correct. Um, okay. The reason the reason he's <laughs> so high up for me. Being a Jurassic Park three fan. Yeah. The reason he's so he's got that Jurassic Park three bump of he made Jurassic Park three and I really like Jurassic Park three. It is the second best Jurassic Park movie. So if you made the second best Jurassic Park movie, um, you get on that. He was made Jumanji. Jumanji is fine. Jumanji like is fine. Jumanji but 
that Jurassic Park 3 bump, well done. Um, in number five, Destin Daniel Cretton, who made Short Term 12, which yes. I really, really like. Awesome. And Just Mercy like looks good. I haven't seen Just Mercy, but it looks it's, good. It's okay. It's one of those movies where the subject matter is important, and I don't think it's, it's handled worthy. poorly or anything, but it's also just kind of a very straightforward biopic it's just like thankfully the the subject matter is carries weight you know worthy um yeah so yeah that, that looks absolutely fine um but Shutter 12 I, I really really liked um now the top four in number four we have shane black because kiss kiss bang bang and the nice guys are excellent but yes. predator the predator is one of the worst movies i've ever seen um yeah but yeah absolutely awful <laughs> Yeah, he might be like the one of the few directors that like I really, really love some of his stuff and really, really hate some of yeah. his stuff. You know, like yeah, uh, the Nice Guys is one of my favorite movies. It's awesome. Nice Guys is brilliant. Um, in number three, Taika Waititi, because outside of one movie of his I don't like, I like all of his films. I've seen all of them, and I am a fan. He's done um, some great stuff. Yeah, he really has. In number two, Ryan Coogler, um, because I think Creed yep. is excellent. I think Fruitvale Station is absolutely yes. stunning. Um, so two very good movies. Two amazing films, and in at number one, a surprise to nobody is Sam Raimi because, yeah, The Evil Dead. Absolutely, I don't think that there's. I don't think you could make much listening to that list, especially. I don't think there's really any argument I could make for anyone else to be at number one. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That is the official ranking of the twenty Marvel Cinematic Universe directors, including such people like Alan Taylor, Louis Leterrier, sure, Peyton Reed, yeah. <laughs> a bunch of people that I forgot about completely. Yeah. Um, wow, that's a great answer to that question. Um, I hope David is satisfied. Um, email from Calvin. The postman was just on his way out when I slipped him this hastily written letter. <laughs> The post-Marvel films are always interesting. How does someone respond after following notes entirely, and then where, and and then when there are a few notes, like with Netflix, it doesn't seem to work out for the Russos, but based on everything they have made, what should they be making? Is there another franchise they should be embedded in? Also, please pressure Steven to do his post-Marvel listicle for the site. Um, you just got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it turns out it's not a listicle. It turns out it was just me talking through it. Um, I can <laughs> write it up as a listicle if you want. Um, hmm, what do you think they should be doing? This is, the, this is the easy answer what's the easy answer for you then nothing go, go back to tv like go back to tv like, yeah you know. I, I think that is make the community movie that everyone wants everyone you know to be made you know just yeah yeah i think that's really all i can argue for as well i, I just you don't need huge I mean, budgets just make interesting things here's here's a question for you although i've just blanked on his name so it's not gonna be a great question um Who's just the awful guy that made Vice and Don't Look Up? Adam. Adam McKay. Adam McKay. What's yes. the best thing that Adam McKay has done recently? Recently, I'm mm. assuming it's a show that I don't remember, don't know exists or have yeah, Succession. Exists. Succession. Oh, um, okay. that makes sense. Yeah, his his involvement in that. Um, so I don't know these people that have got a name to get something made. Use your name to get good TV writers. Like he got like the the, the Peep Show writers to to write a show. <laughs> And like the like the best like Jesse Armstrong and I forget the other guy's name. So use your clout as name to get talented people to make a good thing, because you don't have yeah. much talent. It seems. Just I, I I think to me it's just like when these directors get these budgets, it seems like they feel like I don't even know if they feel like it, but it's like there's never any, there's rarely ever any return. Like they just then it's just like we are big budget directors now. It's yeah. Like just. Go back to being, you know, mid-budget directors and do something that's a little smaller and interesting rather than trying to force a $200 million well, budget into this huge thing. 
I think it's because the business used to be very, very different. Because I think back to people like Coppola and Lucas to an extent, because Lucas made that like weird Red Tails movie. Um, but he's on the edge of that. Um, and Friedkin. I think it used to be that big budget movies were also pleasing to the art house crowd. Like, yeah, definitely. The Godfather is huge. Apocalypse Now is 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 huge. These these are giant weighty films. Like The French Connection is a big movie. Um and it used to be that big movies meant something differently. So the change between The Godfather and The Conversation felt yeah. like a natural artistic shift. But I can't imagine like the Russos putting out something. I mean, they have that. We joked about the conversation earlier, so we have that conversation scene. <laughs> that, that's the conversation for the Russos there. Right. So I, it, I think it's because what is big filmmaking is different now. It really is. Like, you think about, like, you know, both of us are huge fans of Paul Verhoeven's, like, 90s action stuff. Mm. But, like, that is, like, those are exactly what I want from, like, blockbuster action movies. Like, those are huge, big budget movies, but they're, like, also really brilliantly written and executed yeah. and they're amazing effects showcases and it's like there's yeah. there just doesn't exist anymore it seems which is such a bummer because it's like i want great blockbusters that i can really get into but i can't remember the last time that i really loved one you know yeah yeah um but that's our email from calvin and that's all of our emails but i did get a message from matt and this is a great question oh no he's got a game he's got a game for us to play Hey, <laughs> Matt wants us to rank every movie we can think of with man in the title. Oh god. <laughs> so, the ranking part is going to be hard cuz the it's, most right. of it is just coming up with Vaughan's, the movies. Vaughan's going to Vaughan's going to cut out a lot of this. Just know oh, it's going to be a, a a longer conversation that a lot is a lot is cut out. Um are we taking any derivations or is it just straight up man? I'm thinking just straight up man. I, I think including... Are we including like, things like Batman and Spider-Man? I'm going to say no just because okay. including the superhero stuff seems easy and boring. Yeah, now. no, I agree. So I um, think just man, no superheroes, like no men or anything like that. We're just All right, I'm going to start off with The Irishman. Okay, that's a great... I mean, obviously it's only one, but that's that would be up there. I, love, I like The Irishman a lot. That's a good... A good start. Um, Birdman. Manchester by the Sea. I... <laughs> Given the boundaries I outlined, I don't think I can disqualify it. <laughs> uh, I would put Irishman above Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, same. Um, <laughs> I don't like Manchester by the Sea very much. I would put Birdman in the middle of those. Yep, I agree. So Manchester by the Sea is the worst <laughs> man movie. <laughs> the king's man um oh god yeah at the bottom yeah, nope that that's way at the bottom um i would put right above the king's man i would put uh the man from earth have you seen that no oh uh really terrible movie that i don't like <laughs> okay but, um man on fire i haven't seen but we talked number Tony one Scott. number uh, one so far wait what's it number one uh, I'd take man. I'd take man on fire over Irishman. Yeah, man on fire. I'll give you that just because I like Tony Scott a lot. And then um, I put man on a wire as well. <laughs> man on fire. Man on a wire. Where are you putting man on wire? Um, uh, towards the bottom. Okay. Towards the, towards the middle. It's, it's, it's fine. I don't think either of us are writing anything down. We're just keeping this ranking in our heads. Yeah. So uh, you'll have to keep track at home. Um, I might Manhunter. I'm gonna put Manhunter. Man, oh the yeah, Manhunter's the top. Yeah, Manhunter's the top. Um, I've got another one for the bottom for you. Um, the okay. Northman. 
The bottom. You would not put the that bottom. Words, man. <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, Swiss well, Army we're gonna have to We're going to have to reach a consensus on the Northmen. It would not be at the bottom, but <laughs> maybe we'll just leave it there since this ranking isn't being written yeah, yeah. anyway. Swiss Army Man. Above, above the Northmen. <laughs> okay. I've got, new... I haven't seen. <gasps> I've got a new um, number one. I've got a new number one. Okay. Because it's the first man. <laughs> I wouldn't put that above Manhunter though. Well, no, it's, but that's it's a good man. that's a that's a good call because it's also Ryan Gosling too. Mm. Um, I wouldn't put the first man at number one. I would put that maybe at four of what we've got right now. Yes, four man. The Irishman. That goes back to Peyton Reed. Um, I only saw bits and pieces of that, so I don't know where I would put that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you Manchester by the sea I'm not giving you man <laughs> Alright what about Mandy Also not giving you man Mandy's number one though <laughs> If we were including Mandy I would put it at number one Yeah um, um... What else um, The Man from Nowhere Very good movie Have you seen that No the third man third man third man number one Bam third man Actually, number three. Uh, I guess number three. <laughs> I like that you're ranking them by the name now. This is not, <laughs> it's not a very man. good ranking. Um, I, think that's man. I, I think that's all I got. Running I'm Man. Sure Demolition Man. There you go. There's more. Now we're just naming them without ranking them. <laughs> this list is out of hand and we aren't writing anything down. <laughs> uh, um, nowhere Man. That was Nowhere Boy. That's not a movie. I think you just made that up. I already said The Man from Nowhere, which is a movie. <laughs> There's Man Without a Something. Lost in La Mancha. Alright, now we're really grasping at straws here. I don't <laughs> I think we might have reached the <gasps> limit. Mm, mm, no, okay. one last one. The Alpha Man. The Alpha Man? Elephant Man. Oh, Elephant Man. I was like, what? Okay. Elephant that's man. that's fair. Um Gemini Man. It's good. Um Again, we're just naming them. I don't know. These yeah, could be anywhere yeah. in the ranking. Rank them yourself um, at home. Play along with us. Uh, um, I think that's all we got. I don't have anything else. Oh. Eat, drink, man, woman. Horse, woman. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. I'm going to bleep that. It's not allowed to be in the podcast. <laughs> A serious man. Oh, that's a great one. A that's film a about one. me. <laughs> um, there you go. I'm done. I'm done. Done with men. <laughs> a good list of man movies. There you um, go. Well, that's all of our correspondence. Unless you have anything that you have received on your own. No, no, I have not. And okay. I would, I would delete it if it came to me. Why would you do that? You. <laughs> I hope you don't do that. I hope you're not receiving correspondence and deleting it. <laughs> yeah, it's every I get, I get so much that I'm just like, no, no, oh, man. delete. Yeah, yeah, it's quite. It's just overwhelming. Oh, at least I'm keeping some for us to read on the show. Yeah. Um, but thank you everybody for writing in. Please email us at thinkingofspoiling at gmail dot com. The if you have any Questions or comments or want to be nice to us or want to be mean to us. Either one, we'll take it. We'll read anything. Um, or you can, as we've said before, you can comment on Letterboxd or DM mm -hmm. us on Discord, wherever okay. is easiest 
for you to get a message to us and we will make sure it's on the show so Vaughn what have you watched that you recommend I'm going to recommend The Church 1989 um, Michelle Sovey's The Church never heard of this. Um, or La Chiesa which is was originally it's an interesting movie like I when I was watching it I was reading up on it because it's the production is kind of fascinating. So it was originally conceived as the third movie in the Demon series. Oh. Um, and originally it was going to be a third Demons movie that took place on an airplane. Which was an interesting idea, but I was like, I don't know how that would work as a movie. I mean, I think Demons already kind of ran out of steam with the second Tetsuo movie. Tetsuo the so. Iron Man. <laughs> what was that? Tetsuo oh, the Iron Man. <laughs> That's a man we're done with that i'm trying to recommend the church <laughs> god damn it um, anyway originally it sorry was, demons um, made me think of tats on the iron man because they're scrungy that makes sense no that makes sense um so yeah it was originally conceived as demons 3 and then just throughout the production it kind of when when michelle Suave came on to work on it he basically didn't want it to be demons 3 and he thought that nobody wanted demons 3 so he just basically slowly erased all of the demon stuff and just turned it into a completely different movie um about like yeah demons um that awaken in a church um and it's really great it's like i was it's it's more of like even more of like a mood piece kind of thing where it's just like mm the classic italian horror thing where it's just like this is just horror vibes you know and it's awesome um and it's much more like that than the demons movies um but i love it a lot it's got that great goblin score of course and yes yeah it just rules it's a fantastic movie um also watch demons you can skip demons too demons but... is great i've not seen demons too i've only seen demons have i seen demons i don't think i have but i've seen demons demons is absolutely rules yeah demons is one of my favorite movies but yeah this is this is just great stuff great. um just fantastic gory and, and really fun so yeah there's there's my recommendation what do you got for us this week um so i was gonna go well I, so two really so jacot uh jaco um the um yeah yeah biopic about jacques demy um by agnes vada um young young jacques demy is just just watch it it's just absolutely fabulous it's just such a wonderful film that is so formally inventive as, as Agnes Varda's stuff can be and it's just like made with like utter love and passion and it just I don't know it's it's so affirming and wonderful it's a, it's, a, it's this wider ode to like creativity and to go out and do your thing and I just love that stuff so much but it would be remiss of me not to um, recommend Shiver um, which oh, at the behest of Brazy Ben um, we've all been watching and is just actually beyond spectacular I think that if you can find a way to watch Shiver um, then please do so. So it's from Toshiaki Toyoda, um, who we know from Nine Souls. Um, yeah, Blue Spring others, as well, which I really yeah, like. Yeah, Blue Spring, um, Go Spook Yourself, Porno Star. Yeah, um, lots of great shorts. Yeah, Hanging Garden, which I really liked as well. He's a, he's a really, really good director. This is, yeah. genuinely, it's just 90 minutes of a percussion performance on this beautiful island um, somewhere in the Japanese, like... I forget what the term is, archipelago, um, somewhere there. Um, and it is just drumming. Um, that's not very reductive. It's, it's it like for, it's just 
scenery drumming and performance for 90 yeah. minutes and it's just it's just so immersive and it's so brilliant it is just like absolutely enrapturing it's that sense of just like sound vision it's just right. it's just everything just there it it does what with about that gray man does not do of like it understands that the camera adds narrative and is the, the camera is played like an instrument not in the way that it's like a, it's not like there's a scene towards the end that you could liken to the end of climax in that way of like okay the camera is getting like very physical there yeah. but it, 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 in a much more restrained way and a much more way that climax feels like it's just it's it's wild on top of things whereas this feels like it's like an, an internalized thing where the camera frame things so well um so many of the edits are on the beat because the beat is so pulsive and so important yeah. and it is just so part of the storytelling and capturing performance there's an amazing shot partway through that i wrote about in my review where it's just like you cut bam from inside the location to the hitting a drum at a waterfall and the camera's placed so perfectly that there's the cascade is is obviously behind them but it's framed so the cascade's coming out behind one on one end of the drum and the other drummer opposite him there's this kind of like ice that's like just clinging to the side of the rock so it's like there's just ice propelling behind him like a cape okay. and water behind the other awesome. and it, it, it becomes like almost like elemental thing and like yeah. they're hit they're beat they're not hitting the same rhythm but they're using the same time signature so it's cooperative but suddenly it becomes almost like competitive and you start to view them as like drumming against each other and you start to pick up of like not just what they're drawing but how they drum the physicality of the performances it really makes you consider how much of of music is not in the music itself, but is in the performance of the music, and it's right. just—it's so perfectly captured. It's so mesmeric. It feels generally like it—it—it it, it has a lot of like symbolism to do with like wider Buddhist ideas, but not in a way that seems just like pushing something. Yeah, it just yeah. feels in tune with like a, a, a spiritualism that pervades through it. It feels—it's it, so hard to talk about. I feel like I'm talking about it quite inarticulately and not selling it fully because it's just—it is so beyond words and brilliant. Like it is yeah. just rhythm music cinematography and it I is totally it is one of the most stunning things i've seen for a long time and i'm so so grateful to ben for turning us all onto this um it's such a ben discovery it's just it's it's beyond yeah. fabulous god i, I really fabulous. need to watch it i'll try and maybe even just get to it tonight i've just been i was away for a few days so i've been unable yeah, to but yeah I, just, I, I really need to i have a sounds around surround sound at home that i put on for, for some movies so i can't be able to put it on and like i just sat there late at night dark yeah blowing out tv was just phenomenal if you've got that watch that otherwise headphones and just yeah it's just oh it's stunning awesome so those are our recommendations for yes. this week um and that's everything for this episode so please follow us both on letterboxd i please am do. zebra and you are stevenage yep and yeah as always check out the website twingeeks.com and check the- out all of our other podcasts the twin geeks they're still going through robert altman at the moment yes join the discord they're doing watch parties for some of those movies so please join the discord and check that out there will be events um pinned if you if you join in yeah yeah. um fright files is new yes yes i need to write that down i need to add that to my list of things to mention but yeah they've been ben and calvin started the podcast where they are talking about horror adaptations and really interesting yeah reading books and watching the the films along with them and talking about that um ranking the monsters what do you guys got um we are who knows we're gonna do it because i'm going away for a bit but um so it probably won't be for a while sorry team but the next episode is hetera hetera and oh, yes. the x from outer space attends the g8 summit or whatever it's called <laughs> <laughs> well that's great title uh, I love I love Hedera so much. It's a brilliant movie. Yeah, yeah, one one of um, the best. One of the best. 
and I believe is Local Legends still next for Motor and Cast? Yep, that'll that'll be coming out at, at a point. Um, exciting stuff. Um, loads of stack. I've 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 recorded a whole bunch of stack stuff, so there should be. This is we've declared it the summer of stacks. There should be quite a few things coming awesome. out, drip feeding. That'll be really interesting. Um, some different stuff, some cool stuff. Um, we have an all mailbag edition of Office Hours, which um, is raucous, as you'd expect. Of course. So if you want raucous, oops, all emails, then yeah. <laughs> um, 808s and Pod Breaks, Adventures in Asian Cinema, of course, the stacks. And um, I don't think I mentioned Daydreamcast. So yeah, just check out everything we've got. Always mm. lots going on. Um, do you have anything upcoming as far as reviews for the site? Yeah, I so guess I'm covering Fantasia. Fantasia. Yeah. Um, I've not got to that many stuff because i've just been goddamn busy just getting married and all like it's taking my time <laughs> um so yeah i've i can now on air say that what do we do with the dead kaiju sucks um which was really disappointing um because the the embargo is up on that you can read my review on the site um i don't know if the embargo on another film will be up yet when this comes out if it is that'll be up there um and shin ultraman just completely rules it's such oh, an awesome so excited. movie very jealous that you got to see that I so good can't wait to watch it yeah so good but yeah that's all for me cool i i am trying to put together a review for the gray man that'll be out i'm sure by the time yeah, this yeah, is yeah. out yeah, i'm sure when this comes um, up you better read that your note review yeah. is up which yes, is evocative and wonderful um seeing bodies 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 next week i'm looking forward to that let the bodies hit the floor um, oh you've also you're doing bullet train i believe is it you still uh yeah still see yeah, that yeah, coming yeah. from you yeah. see how yeah, that yeah. turns out um, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i think that's i'm probably forgetting something that i'm doing as well but that's all i can think of for now yeah um so yeah if you enjoyed the podcast please drop us a rating if you please could do. tell a friend just get as many people to join in to the fun as possible. We would really appreciate it. Yeah, and send all your grey man questions to at Jack Davenport. That's J-C-K-D-V-N-P-R-T at Jack Davenport. All right. Anything else to add before we close out, Stephen? Uh, No, I have nothing to add. I have said everything there is to say. All right. Well, then, until next time, I am thinking of ending this podcast. Wise. Wise.